Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Well, in today's session, we're looking at uh, John chapter 2, and let's begin reading at verse 1. And the third day was, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So what we see taking place here is a Jewish wedding, and uh, evidently uh, the people who were getting married were uh, either friends or relatives of Jesus and uh, his mother Mary. And uh, so they go to the wedding party, uh, and uh, notice that Joseph is not mentioned. Most Bible scholars believe that Joseph had died uh, at this time, and Mary was a widow. And uh, so her and Jesus and the disciples make their way uh, to this wedding. Uh, let's look at verse uh, two, uh, verse th- uh, 3. The Bible says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, uh, the interesting thing here is this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus is not being unkind to his mother here. Uh, but uh, the first thing that I notice is that Mary feels it's her responsibility to tell Jesus that they have no wine. Now, why did she do that? Well, she either thought that he could um, make sure that they they got wine, um, I don't think she was expecting him to turn the water into wine, but uh, she informs Jesus. Uh, like I said, Joseph was passed away. Her husband wasn't there. And so uh, she she tells her oldest son they, ha- they have no wine. Now, uh, some religions make Jesus and Mary on an equal footing. And the question I have in my mind is that if uh, there wasn't any wine, why did Mary say to Jesus, they have no wine? Why didn't she do something about it herself? If she had as much power as Jesus had, or she was on equal footing with Jesus, if she was a perpetual virgin uh, and uh, a co-redeemer, so to speak, then why couldn't she do this? Why did she go to Jesus and say to him, they have no wine? So that's interesting to me that she uh, she goes to Jesus, expecting him to do something about it. Now, his reply is, woman, what have I to do with thee? Uh, now, that sounds harsh in English, but it's not as harsh uh, in the Greek text as it is in English. Um, it's kind of like uh, a saying, uh, mother... Uh, what am I going to do with you? Uh, that that type of thing. I don't think it was said in anger at all. And so uh, he says to her, woman, notice he does not call her mother. Uh, that's important because at this time, what he is doing here is that he is showing her that 
they have a different relationship now. Uh, she's still his his mother, his biological mother, true. But the relationship between the child and the mother is no longer. Now then, the relationship is uh, God, the son, of, uh, the son of God, and and the Son of Man, who is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is now her master and her Lord and Redeemer. Uh, though he's not gone to the cross yet, uh, yet uh, he will be her Redeemer. And uh, so uh, here he addresses her as woman rather than mother, because the relationship now uh, is different. And um, uh, that that should be understood. And then he says, mine hour is not yet come. Now, he says this several times in the book of John and in the scriptures, uh, the, the four gospels. What is Jesus saying here when he says, mine hour is not yet come? Well, I think he's referring specifically to the hour that he is betrayed, uh, that he's taken to the cross and crucified. Uh, you see, everything God does, God has it on time. The Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So God has a plan, and that plan requires perfect timing. And uh, this was not the time uh, for Jesus to reveal himself uh, to, to Israel. It was not the time for him to die for the sins of humanity, uh, and he wants Mary to know that. Remember, the angel had told Mary uh, that uh, there would be a, a sword that would pierce her heart or her soul, uh, and of course, that was a prophecy regarding uh, when Jesus would be crucified. No, though she didn't understand all of that, she knew that something was going to happen that would bring her uh, great grief. And of course, uh, it was the the death of Jesus on the cross. Uh, and as any mother would, uh, she was right there when it happened. And I'm sure she grieved uh, over Jesus being treated so uh, awful by the Roman soldiers and by the leaders of Judaism at that time. And uh, so she... Uh, uh, she knew that something was going to happen from the very from the very beginning, and of course it would happen. Well, uh, the, let's go to verse uh, verse five. His mother saith unto his servants, "Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it." Now that's this tells me that Mary got it. She understood now the relationship between her and Jesus would be different, that now then he would be her Lord. She would not be uh, ordering him around. She would not be even suggesting uh, things to him because now then she was to be submissive to him because he was her Lord, even though he was her child. But we must remember he was also God in the flesh. And uh, so she says to the servants, well, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Um, it implies here that Mary understood this new relationship between her and Jesus. Uh, and uh, she said to these servants, he's in charge. You ask, you ask Jesus. And whatever he says, you do it. Verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone 
after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto her, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse are the watered-down wine uh, but uh, what they would bring out. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Which tells us that the party had been going on for a while, and maybe it was near the end of the wedding party. And um, so let's examine uh, these verses. Now, uh, these six stone water pots, uh, we don't know for sure how much each one of them would hold. Uh, hold. Some believe that they could have held uh, 10 gallons. Some believe it could have been less than that or even more than that. Uh, but uh, regardless, uh, they uh, notice here that he instructed, uh, let's take a look at, the, at these verses again. Uh, he says unto them, uh, he points out the water pots of stones, and he says, fill the water pots with water. So that implies they must have either been empty or very uh, low on water. And they filled them up to the brim, so as much as they could get in there. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Now, the governor of the feast is not talking like a governor of a state. Uh, it's talking about probably the maitre d' or the wedding planner or the person that was in charge uh, of the wedding. And uh, so they take it to him. Now, uh, when the ruler of the feast, which tells us the governor was the ruler of the, of the wedding feast, uh, had tasted the water that was made wine, excuse me, and knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Now he calls in the bridegroom, and uh, he's going to say something to the bridegroom in regards to the uh, good taste of this wine. Well, let's look at it. And he saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. Uh, you see, uh, that's the, that was the custom. They would set forth the good wine first, and and uh, everybody would be enjoying it. Then they would slowly water it down as they, you know, begin to run out of wine. And he says, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, the watered down wine, but thou hast kept the good wine till now. So he's pointing out here to the bridegroom that this, this wine uh, is not watered down, that it is the, well, he didn't say this, but I think it's implied the best wine I've ever tasted. Now the question is, uh, of course, and it's been debated many times about whether this wine was fermented or not. Well, I'll be honest with you, there's no way of knowing for certain. I do believe this, that if Jesus was able to turn the water into wine, he was able to take the alcohol out of the wine. 
me personally, I, I do not believe it would have made anyone drunk. Uh, I don't think it was intoxicating wine. Uh, again, as I said, it would be no problem for uh, it to taste like it was intoxicating wine, but not intoxicating wine. It would taste like it was fermented, but it was not fermented. You know, all things are possible with God. The, the miracle of turning the water into wine is a great miracle, so it would be no problem for God to make it taste like fermented wine, and yet it was not. That's my personal opinion, and I say that because it conflicts with some other scriptures uh, over in the Old Testament, and uh, I do not believe that Jesus would have uh, made wine that would have made everybody drunk. I, I, I can't believe that, and uh, so that's the way I interpret it anyway. All right, we're looking at verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana. So this is the first miracle that Jesus did in the city of Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Well, <coughs> excuse me, as I've said, this is the first miracle Jesus has performed. And uh, it was impressive, evidently, uh, to those that observed it. Uh, the Bible says the disciples believed on him. Um, didn't they believe on him before this? Well, uh, I guess they did, but maybe you could say they have now more faith that he is uh, special, that he is the Messiah. And so they go down to Capernaum, and notice who goes here, his mother his brethren, and his disciples. Now, his brethren, who are these uh, Who are these men? Well, I believe it's his brethren. Uh, of course, Joseph was their father. He was not the father of Jesus. God the Holy Spirit was the father of Jesus, so we could call them half-brothers of Jesus. And so I believe the brethren here is not talking about uh, other, other believers. It's talking about uh, his half-brothers, uh, the other uh, children, uh, the other sons of, of Mary, and his disciples. Notice the conjunction there shows us there's a difference between the brethren and the disciples here, uh, and so uh, they continued there, the Bible says, many days. Now verse 13, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So now then, uh, uh, Jerusalem will be buzzing with activity because all the people coming in to observe the Passover. And uh, when it says it's at hand, it means it was getting close for it to be observed. All the Jewish people would observe it there in Jerusalem, uh, the capital city of Judea. Verse 14, And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he, Jesus, drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and the poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us 
seen that thou dost, uh, doest these things. Well, the first thing that we notice here uh, is that they had turned the temple into a bazaar uh, where they were, I say they, I'm speaking of uh, the some of the Jewish people found an opportunity to make some money here because they had people coming in from out of town that maybe had um, uh, money that was Roman money and they needed to exchange it for Jewish money because they would not offer Roman money uh, in the temple to, to God. And so uh, there were money changers there. And then a lot of the people did not have sacrifices to offer. They didn't bring them with them, so they would buy them there. So they had this buying and selling and money changing hands and everything. I mean, uh, something very uh, holy uh, was being turned into, like I said, a, a, a bazaar. Um, they were making a lot of money, the people were. And uh, Jesus would not put up with that. Here we see the anger of Jesus. You know, some people say, oh, Jesus was loving. He never got angry. Well, he's certainly angry here. And uh, if you had been there, you would have seen how angry he was. I don't think he had a smile on his face when he drove them out with these cords. Uh, and I think he probably hit some of them with them. And he turned over all the tables and uh, uh, he run the sheep out and the oxen. And, and it must have been <laughs> something to observe. And he says, "Get take these things hence, or get this stuff out of here. Uh, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And, of course, that's what they had done. And today we should not do that. Uh, you know, church should not be a money-making place. Um, I'm not against uh, selling some books and whatever. Uh, I think it would be wise not to sell them in the auditorium of a church but to sell some Christian books or something in the foyer or whatever, uh, I see, you know, something that, that is related to Christianity. Um, I see no harm in that. But that's, uh, that, that money is always just put in to buy more books and whatever. So, you know, you know no one's making money at it. Um, but you got to be careful even with that, that it doesn't appear. The Bible says that we ought to uh, abstain from the very appearance of evil. And so we got to be careful about these things that no one gets the idea that the church is in a money-making uh, operation. That's not what the church is to do. And Jesus makes that plain here. Uh, and then, of course, his disciples there in verse 17 remembered that the, the Old Testament had, uh, there was a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament that the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Uh, you'll find that in the book of Psalms. And and uh, now they, they ask a question. They say, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Evidently, this is his disciples asking this question. Uh, what sign uh, that we'll know that why you're doing these things? Now, notice Jesus' answer here in verse 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, so the disciples evidently asked the question, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders are there, or at least some of the Jews are there as well, besides the disciples. Uh, then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? 
Well, uh, first of all, we know that Jesus was not talking about the Jewish temple made of stone and, and whatever. That's not what he was referring to. He was talking about his body, of course, and that tells us that in verse 21. But uh, notice how blind uh, the Jews are here to spiritual things because they think he's literally talking about <laughs> the, uh, the temple, which would, uh, was, was called Herod's temple. And uh, they said it took, us 46, it took 46 years to build this thing, and you're going to tear it down and build it back in, in, in three days? They didn't get it. Of course they didn't get it. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, their foolishness into him. Neither doth he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. So they didn't get it, of course. Unsaved people do not understand spiritual truths. They just don't. And the reason is because they are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You see, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in to live inside our body. The Bible says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, and so a believer has the ability to understand spiritual truths. The unbeliever doesn't have the Holy Spirit, so he does, or he or she does not have the ability to understand spiritual truths or spiritual things. Now, verse 21 makes it plain, but he spake of the temple of his body, uh, referring to his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, which would occur over a period of three days. Verse 22. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. So John kind of jumps ahead uh, here, the Apostle John, and tells us that uh, something that would occur after the resurrection of Jesus. He says, then they remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Uh, it's interesting here that they they didn't uh, think about this until after they had seen Jesus in his resurrected body. Uh, now, that's because before he died, they were still holding out hope that somehow he would not die and that he would establish the kingdom right then and uh, put down the Roman, uh, the, the Romans that were ruling over Jerusalem and set up his kingdom and become king of the Jews. But of course, they did not understand that he had to die on the cross and be buried and raised from the grave first. After they saw him in his resurrected body, uh, then they understood the scripture. Verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Now, Notice here, many believed in his name. Uh, did they believe in the salvation? I don't think so. I, I think uh, their, uh, if anything, their belief was very shallow. Uh, it's more or less implied here they believe in his name. Uh, makes it sound like they believed. Uh, they could have possibly, and we don't know, but they could have possibly, possibly believed that he was the promised Messiah. But to believe and depend upon him and trust in him as their savior, I don't think so. And uh, and the reason I don't think so is because it says when they saw the miracles, which he did. So they were impressed with the miracles. Uh, this was not this was not faith. 
This was something they saw, and they were impressed with what they had seen. So that tells me that they did not have saving faith. Uh, and many people today, uh, they walk by sight rather than by faith. And uh, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to, uh, to walk by faith, not by sight. But that's what they were doing, and their, their belief, I think, was very shallow. Uh, but they, have, of course, there's no repentance here and no turning to Christ in faith. Verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself or entrust himself unto them because he knew all men. Now, that's an interesting statement. He knew all men. And it's, it's talking here, all men, women, boys, and girls, all people, all right? Because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Well, of course he did. He was God in the flesh. He knew that you couldn't trust uh, a people, and you can't. You trust God and love people. They all love God, too. But, uh, you know, David said uh, over in Psalm 118, I'll put no confidence in man. And uh, I learned that a long time ago. We're to love people, but uh, you'd be wise not to trust them uh, a whole lot. Who was it? President Reagan, Reagan said that we ought to trust but verify. Well, that, that's kind of the way it is, I think, uh, in the ministry or even being a Christian. Um, you, get, you know, the arm of flesh will fail you. And what it says here that Jesus knew all men, it means he knows all of us. The Bible says the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, and then the next verse says God is the one that knows the heart. Only God knows our hearts. We don't even know our own hearts, but God does. Now, uh, here God knew their hearts. God in the, the meaning the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He knew what was in them. And he knew that their faith was very shallow and, and whatever. Uh, so he didn't, he didn't commit himself to them. Uh, and because he, he knew that there, they didn't really have saving faith, and so he did not entrust himself or reveal himself to them as to uh, uh, who he was and what he had come to do and whatever. Uh, he did not do that at this time. All right, that completes chapter 2. Uh, we'll take a look at John chapter 3 in our next session. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Thank you for listening.